which was charged with investigating the late president's assassination to bring closure to this tragedy for a grieving nation. He was selected minority leader by House Republicans in 1965. In that capacity, in 1970, Ford led the charge to impeach the ultra-liberal Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas. That effort failed. On October 10, 1973, Vice President Spiro Agnew resigned amid a cloud of scandal, having been accused of accepting bribes while serving as governor of Maryland and vice president. This left the seat vacant for President Nixon to fill via the newly adopted 25th Amendment, added to the Constitution in 1967 after the death of John F. Kennedy. The amendment provided for the orderly succession of the presidency and vice presidency in case of a vacancy. Although Nixon initially wanted former Treasury Secretary John Connolly to replace Agnew, he instead selected Ford, a popular congressional leader, because Ford would be a more palatable choice to the House and Senate members who would vote on the confirmation. On December 6, 1973, as the Watergate crisis worsened, Ford was sworn in, becoming the first individual to be appointed to office pursuant to the 25th Amendment. Ford had been vice president for only about eight months when he learned of the smoking gun tape containing evidence of Nixon's guilt in the Watergate cover-up, evidence that would almost certainly lead to the president's impeachment. Abruptly, on August 8th, Nixon chose to resign the following day at noon, leaving Ford to become president of the United States. Presidency Gerald Ford had the misfortune to become the first president of the post-Watergate era. He took over with virtually no time to plan a transition, and initially even avoided naming a chief of staff because of the sense of distrust Nixon's tainted chief of staff H.R. Haldeman had inflicted on the position. Ford also confronted a difficult decision regarding former President Nixon's legal fate. The new president faced a Congress dominated by Democrats who, desiring to make their influence felt, were eager to rein in the chief executive. As Nixon's hand-picked successor, and without any electoral mandate of his own, Ford faced the risk that a mistake in any of these areas could be blown out of proportion by his political opponents, the press, and the public, all of whom were sensitive to the slightest hint of executive dishonesty in the post-Nixon years. Few presidents have taken office under such difficult circumstances as did Gerald Ford. Nonetheless, Ford did not shrink from a fight, invoking his executive powers on several occasions to exercise fully the powers of the presidency, with varying degrees of effectiveness. Almost immediately, Ford had to decide whether to rely on former Nixon staffers, his own people, or some combination thereof. He chose the last option. President Ford initially tried to serve as his own chief of staff in a spokes-of-the-wheel arrangement by which several staffers had unlimited access to the president and his time. Yet he soon discarded the concept. He designated Donald Rumsfeld as staff coordinator because Haldeman had sullied the title of chief of staff. Ford also swiftly nominated former New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller to serve as his vice president pursuant to the new 25th Amendment the same provision by which Ford had been named vice president a year earlier. In an environment where the president had virtually no time to put a transition into place, 
the new administration had trouble hitting the ground running. Still, the American public saw Ford as a trustworthy, honorable person and viewed his family favorably. This tranquility lasted roughly thirty days, when Ford suddenly decided to offer pardons to Nixon and Vietnam draft dodgers and thereby brought an abrupt halt to his cordial relationship with the American public. Ford's relationship with his former colleagues in Congress also changed, as they no longer welcomed the president back to the legislature with open arms. The Nixon Pardon Serious constitutional issues had arisen while Nixon was in office as to whether a sitting president could be indicted. Scholars were split on this question. Nixon's Solicitor General Robert Bork filed a government brief during the Agnew Affair, stating that a sitting president, as unitary head of the executive branch, could not be indicted or...